0: Now that Fantastical Truth has reached 100 episodes and counting, we're time-traveling back to the top most-listened episodes of this podcast. From UFOs to Biblical Imagination to Dragons versus Televangelists, we will explore the big ideas our listeners have loved the most and catch up with any updates about these explorations. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. And I'm Stephen E. Stephen Burnett. I publish lorehaven.com, and I also co-authored a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell, and I'm trying to find my Titan badge so that I can become a superhero like in The Hyperion's. That's a reference to a independent film that's coming out this week from The Daily Wire. I'm really excited about it. And this is episode 102.
0: We actually had a top 10 style episode earlier this year. This is not that. Uh, do not let your ears deceive you. Uh, that episode was about the top 10 most read articles or pages at lorehaven.com. And this one, now that we've hit 100 episodes and counting, we're actually going back over just the podcast episodes, uh, which now has been going on for... About two years, uh, Zach and I started this project after several months of planning. We started in January 2020, just a few months before the you-know-what, which, Lord (laughs) willing, Zach seems to finally be on its way out. It would be nice if it was, uh, with a lot of people saying that, hey, you can relax, you can take off the mask. So whatever you do on mask, you can take it off here in the studio. This is a safe place. Take (laughs) off that mask. You don't need it, as I once said.
1: Yes, the science seems to be changing to uh, help all that out. It is funny though, Stephen. Thinking back to our earliest episodes, where you know we were in person, and then we had to go remote, and then we said, "Oh well, we're just doing this for a few weeks, you know, two weeks to slow the spread," and thinking, "Oh, this pandemic will be over in a couple of weeks." And yeah, here we are, two years later, and we're still talking about stage three, stage two, whatever. And it's just like, okay, I guess this is uh, going to be part of our world for a while, whatever that means. But yes, here on the show, you don't have to uh, do anything to enjoy this conversation.
0: I'm fine with that because the remote recording works really well. And although Zach and I actually live in uh, basically the same area here in Central Texas, it is about 30 minutes away uh, from uh, from between our houses. So this arrangement works, and then we're also able to get uh, more company in here. Uh, I've been uh, very happy of the many guests that we've had on Fantastical Truth uh, within the past 100 episodes. And We have more planned. Uh, We kind of binged uh, several fantastic creators uh, during the month of February in celebration of that 100th episode benchmark. We have more ahead uh, as well as some great topics that we'll be exploring uh, with just Zach and I, uh, including today's episode. First, let's go to a new sponsor for this episode. Our top sponsor is the Testimony Podcast. Uh, This is another endeavor by the fantasy novelist Andrew J. Chamberlain. And this one is his podcast, which you can get on the Apple podcast, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you listen to these. Here's the description for this series he runs. The Testimony podcast features people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. These are testimonies of God's grace in times of great blessing, as well as moments of hardship and difficulty. Each episode features a conversation between host Andrew Chamberlain and a guest who reflects on the times in their lives when they have felt Jesus as their close companion. These can be hard conversations, but they tell of the mercy and grace of God. You will hear from men and women from a wide range of backgrounds, leaders in the church, artists, musicians, writers, and entrepreneurs, sharing their testimony of how Jesus has journeyed with them in their lives. And of course, you can listen and subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and wherever you source your podcasts. We will include a link or two in the show notes for this episode 102, as well as by going to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. From there, Zach, I have a list of the top 10. And as per usual arrangement, we will be going in reverse order. Uh, At the number 10 position is actually an episode from just last year, the one we did with L.G. McCary most recently. This was episode 67. How do fantastic stories avoid preachiness while still discipling readers in Christ? As we just heard from that sponsor, there's a time to tell your testimony and uh, preach about God's grace in your life, but uh, should every Christian story do that? Should every Christian story preach at the reader, or is there a deeper goal uh, that God has given us these fictional gifts? Here's the description of that episode. Fiction should not preach, many critics say. They may even preach about it. But even if excellent Christian-made stories should not preach, does this mean the stories will have no teaching at all? Is preaching the only way we learn, or don't we also learn through discipleship? This includes, but isn't limited to, sermons. With help from Lorehaven Writer and that pale host author, LG McCary, we explore how great Christian-made stories do have a purpose—not to preach at readers beyond the fourth wall, but to help disciple our imaginations in Christ. Zach, this is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, It's an evergreen topic, and uh, just making onto the top ten most listened to list. It seems many fans agree. Uh, We were recently talking, Zach and I, about that successful Brandon Sanderson fundraiser where he announced four previously unknown novels and just asked their readers to you know send him a few bucks his way so he could get those out into the world and then he ended up uh, setting a kickstarter record by offering just fantasy novels and my remark there was you know i don't think christian fans are going to be able to do stuff like that anytime soon and a big reason why is that a lot of christian fans still believe that the purpose of fiction is to preach and if we keep thinking that and keep assuming that. Or if we get irritated at that view and overcorrect into the view that stories are just entertainment, I don't think we're going to grow the audience or grow the tastes uh, for Christian made fantasy. Uh, Brandon Sanderson and other authors are going to run rings around us, not because we deserve it, but just because, hey, we're probably a generation or two behind where he is able to reach out to fans who don't expect preaching in the story, but just expect, you know,
1: a story. Yeah, there was something really key that Brandon Sanderson said during his Kickstarter. Video, which was you know, the entire fact that he was revealing that he'd been working on these four novels in secret. He's like, But this is what you've come to expect of me something surprising yet inevitable. That's a really good way to summarize what his stories are all about. It's you're in for a great ride. And by the way, I just checked his Kickstarter page, Steve, and it's up to $23.8 million. And yes, this is not only the largest fundraiser of books ever, it's the largest Kickstarter ever. I could beat out everything else that's ever been done on Kickstarter, and it still has twenty six days to go. That's incredible! And it's a uh, you know thirty day cycle. It's got a hundred thousand backers. You know he's got the eBooks, he's got the hardbacks, he's got swag. There's all these different add ons you can do. Yeah, I'm still debating what I want to get. If uh, right now all I could say is I could afford the eBooks, but man, I would just love to have a little piece of history by getting these premium hardcovers, which apparently he's not going to print any other way. I mean, maybe they'll end up in used bookstores or something, but it it's, uh, I should just say, Hey, this is my birthday and Christmas gift. Just get it for me now, man. What what an amazing thing. And I, I'm so excited about this, Steven, because I think it really shows that fans of fantasy are a lot more numerous than we thought. You know, you know how there's that joke from arrested development. Like there are dozens of us, you know, in this case, there's a hundred thousand people that, Sight unseen, bought a fantasy novel, and that is the hunger that people have for fantastical stories. So that this is super exciting, and yes, it really does show that people love stories where they're in for a surprising adventure,
0: and I think they love stories too that have a sense of meaning. Uh, I must admit yeah. that I have only read—do not crucify me for this, folks—but I think I've <laughs> only read half one Brandon Sanderson novel. Uh, this is for the purpose of. Uh, enjoying great fantasy on the side, but I, it wasn't anything wrong with it. I just uh, somehow washed out. Something came up in my life, You know, I'm not able to be this level of fandom that all these fans you know, throwing millions of dollars at this fundraiser are. Uh, my Lorehaven reading uh, definitely keeps me busy. Uh, I tend to focus more on science fiction, too, uh, when I'm reading stories. I know she, he's done some sci-fi. Yeah. That's beside the point. My main point here is that Sanderson has built not just uh, himself as a voice, but as a brand, there is a Brandon yeah. Sanderson incorporated, brand, you know, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so imagine that they, you know, all these millions of dollars are going to that and Christians are just not there. And one of the reasons why we're not there is we still are divided on the purpose of stories. You know, some people are like, Oh, it's, it's just a story. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, and then other people are like, well, the story should preach the story should be clean. The story should be gritty, you know, uh, we're all kind of fighting over what the story should be, rather than just appreciating stories. You know, as a gift of God by way of human creativity that we use to glorify Him and become better people, to find as people who are more like Jesus. That's what we term discipleship, and that's what we explored in this episode. Uh, disclaiming the idea that stories should preach, uh, but also disclaiming the idea that stories should have no meaning whatsoever. Uh, stories are a discipleship tool. I think it's perfectly acceptable, and in fact, better for Christians to say that stories are a discipleship tool. Maybe there uh, we can move uh, more towards the direction of having these giant fundraisers someday. Uh, But I think that is in a science fiction future for Christian fans. Uh, Let's uh, be happy for the Sandersonians or whatever his fan base is called. Uh, But understand and appreciate that they have a singular brand expectation for their guy. Uh, Christian storytellers right now are still working on figuring that out.
1: Well, you know, and I'll just say here, every story shapes the moral imagination. And certainly Brandon Sanderson, you know, his books have themes in it. It has meaning in it. Shane Morris uh, was on our podcast a few episodes ago to talk about the Wheel of Time and how a very meaningful chapter in one of the later books, which Brandon Sanderson wrote, has really touched him at the time and pointed him to a lot of biblical truth that he needed to hear. Now, whether that's intentional, incidental, you know, you can debate that but the point is it it was the story that pointed them that way it wasn't something directly you know that the author is shouting at the reader and so that leads us right into number 9 which was episode 81 should christians use clean fiction to fight a dirty world and this is this is where the debate gets a little bit deeper stephen is that you know, this is what we're always worried about is that, is my story going to cause someone to sin if it depicts sin or portrays sin? Because the whole point of a story should be to lead someone away from sin. Uh, You know, who would want to write a story that causes someone to be tempted? Uh, But I don't think it's as simple as just having a story where nothing sinful happens.
0: Right. Uh, of course, people disagree on this definition of clean fiction. And I often see, you know, social media groups and some marketing like, oh, here's some clean fantasy. Here's some clean uh, stories for kids. Like, I kind of like that because I, I enjoy the idea of a wholesome story that isn't written sure. to outrage or to, you know, disciple in some false religion. But at the same time, I, I kind of squint a little bit and go, well, I'm not sure that I appreciate the 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 notion that seems underneath this that uh, a story is primarily defined by what it does not have Uh, i like the word wholesome as i said i think in this episode better than even the word clean wholesome implies a filling with something you know clean implies absence of dirt by the way here's the description for that episode you mustn't go outside if the plague doesn't get you the toxic culture will let's be serious worldview sewage pours out from your tv screen and new generations of parents not just grumpy christians Are waking up to nasty notions about sex and self-worship in the kids stories that's dirty stuff infesting our world do we need clean reads to keep out the filthy fiction that's the description i do like that in this episode we dealt with the pros and cons of clean fiction i think that's an advantage of having a podcast uh, as opposed to doing a speech or writing an article even Uh, There's more focus on the individual. Uh, There's a little bit more of a personal connection, not just between you and Isaac, but also uh, between uh, the listeners of the show. We've heard from many of people uh, during these 102 episodes now. Many biblical truths are universal, including the fact that God is righteous and commands his people to be righteous. But when you apply this to uh, the label like clean or whatever story is best for your spiritual growth, that discipleship, Uh, then the application gets more personal. It's a little bit more individual, and it calls for Bible-based wisdom, uh, not absolute statements about which stories are clean and therefore holy versus stories that are dirty and therefore unholy. Uh, I think a lot of these issues get resolved once we explore that purpose I talked about earlier, uh, that fiction's purpose is not to preach at you, but is to help disciple you. And The discipleship, good discipleship, is not just a matter of saying, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. That can quickly become legalism. Good discipleship is going to point you toward Jesus proactively. Look at Jesus, the good discipler says. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing. Isn't he amazing? Doesn't your sin look terrible in comparison? That's what a good story should do. Also point to Jesus and point to our chief end to glorify God. I think that helps put even the clean stories definition in perspective, and it helps us to make those uh, wisdom-based decisions about what stories are best for us personally.
1: Now, my only comment here is this whole debate over what should or what shouldn't be in a story, especially uh, when we're talking about for kids, this has been a gigantic story right now with uh, debates over uh, school curriculum at these school board meetings.
0: Yeah, that's still going on. That's just episode 81. Yeah. That, that, the, those debates kind of occasioned this one right. because we, we were taking
1: off of that. My, my point is that that is a debate that's going on across the nation. And, um, you know, I think Christians have a much a, a much more potential broader audience for their stories, which they market as clean. And again, not say anything wrong about that, but I, I think that, uh, Christians may need to kind of look beyond sometimes the audience that they usually go for. There is, there's a hunger out there for clean stories it, as evidenced by these school board, uh, debates, uh, because man, there's been a lot of really terrible stuff that's being introduced to kids very early on. And You know, I think in at least one town, the mayor uh, was going to get involved legally because he thought this is actually breaking law. This is a topic that I think you can find a lot of uh, symmetry with the wider culture right now. So it sounds like you're saying that we have a neutral
0: world, uh, not just an evangelical world, but an actual neutral world, as we were talking about with Megan Basham in our last episode. That is not a Christian world, uh, but it is a world that is uh, ready for Christian engagement. Uh, We may wrongly think uh, that the larger world around us is neutral toward Christianity, and it's actually negative toward Christianity. And that was the topic of our uh, next episode on this list, the eighth most popular one, episode 88. Well, that's handy. And it was called, Can We Positively Engage Culture in a Negative World with Bethel McGrew, a.k.a. Esther O'Reilly, which is her nom de plume. Uh, Now she is uh, taking off the superhero mask, and we know that it was Bethel McGrew all along. Plot twist. Here is the uh, description for that episode. Christians love engaging fantastical worlds right down to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. But what kind of world do we truly engage? Do we live in an amazing, positive world where most people think Christianity is great? Or do we live in a world that's neutral toward Christianity? Or even a world where most people despise our faith? Our answer helps us stay realistic yet optimistic about how we best engage stories in the real world. And today's special guest, a recently unmasked superhero from the intellectual light web, joins our quest. As I mentioned, Zach, we just had a spiritual sequel to this episode, our episode 101 uh, with Megan Basham, and you just gave that little free plug to their next movie, The Hyperions, at her employer, The Daily Wire, at the top of this show. I think this is one of those Keystone episodes, too, for Fantastical Truth and Lorehaven, and so I'm glad to see that on the top 10 list. Oddly enough, these three episodes here uh, kind of share a lot of characteristics because they're all about how Christians understand our purpose and the nature of why we engage stories in the real world. Every single one approaches it from kind of a different angle, trying to see the real world realistically in light of the gospel and not our often incorrect assumptions. You know, This here uh, is another issue of whether we look out at the world and maybe we don't see that it's clean, but we don't see that it's dirty. You know, just just the world is just kind of neutral. And if only Christians behaved better and weren't such jerks on social media, Uh, then people would like us. And for the Christian fantasy fan, if we just shared stories that are more excellent and not so preachy, well, then more people would like us. I call that as naive as the kitschy figurines on the old Christian bookstore shelves. Uh, I don't think that's a realistic way to look at our world, which is full of enemies who are trying to persecute us, and we're not going to do well learning to love our enemies if we put a little asterisk beside the word enemies and say, actually, that enemy is just your friend that you don't know yet. And it's actually your fault if the enemy's trying to get you or it's that bad Christian down the road. That's his fault. So go yell at the bad Christian down the road, and then the enemy will see that actually you love Jesus all along. That kind of stuff strikes me as naive. Uh, by the way, we're planning another episode about this uh, Christians versus the world topic. It's kind of current right now, at least in our thinking. Uh, at the very end of this show, we're going to pitch that episode, and uh, that gives us, uh, you gentle listener, some time to pray that we will do this one right, because it's about Christians who fight each other in public, and how stories can help us better discern those debates and even fight for peace.
1: You know, Stephen, there's there's two things I kind of hold in tension in the Bible as regards this living in a, a negative world, which is that Jesus said, preach the gospel to all nations. He told the story of the uh, sower. where the. Farmer put seed out everywhere, you know, in all kinds of soil—the the the shallow soil, the rocky soil, the the thorny soil, the good soil—and he just didn't discriminate where he preached the gospel. And then, but as we know, it's only in the good soil that really there was any fruit. Um, so you you contrast that with how the Apostle Paul several times had the door closed to him, and the Holy Spirit would not allow him to go to certain areas. And then even would tell him where to go, like sending him a, a, the dream of the man in Macedonia. And so, you know, we, we have to trust God to direct us to the right places of opportunity. Now, sometimes Paul went to places where uh, he got beat up and he had to escape. And you, you sort of wonder, like, was that Paul's kind of arrogance? Was that what God actually wanted him to do there? Because there, there were places where he had very fruitful, years-long ministry you know, we make a mistake when we look at the world too simplistically, like, oh, we should be able to just preach to anyone and everyone, regardless of where they're coming from. Well, okay. In a sense, yes, that's the, that's the lesson of the parable of the sower. But I think we also have to use wisdom and, in, in how much we engage maybe, or how far we pursue a thing. We have to look at what's going on realistically now with our country. We're, we're going through what a lot of uh, political scientists call the great sort where a lot of people are moving from red states to blue states or blue states to red states, uh, moving from cities to the county or counties to the city, or I should say from rural to urban or urban to rural. And so there, there's a very, um, you know, kind of self selection that's going on here where, where people are wanting to be around other people that are, uh, friendly to their way of looking at the world. I'm trying to stay kind of neutral on this topic or whatever, but you know, Christians are in the middle of this and Christians should be everywhere. I'm not saying we should only go to one place or the other, but we have to recognize that, you know, the tensions in our country are extremely high. And so it's just going to take some wisdom in, in the Holy spirit's direction for where we, you know, really throw our efforts at engaging. Amen to
0: that. We are engaging a negative world and that negative world includes some things that we might find distasteful, such as for example, human sacrifice or an emperor king uh, that has to choose his bride from among seven princesses and marry the one and then sacrifice all the other six to the gods that's actually our sponsor too for this episode Uh, the lorehaven guild is doing a book quest for the late lonnie forbes's fantastic novel the seventh son you can join the lorehaven guild exclusively by subscribing to lorehaven all you have to do is enter your email address at the website lorehaven.com we will then send you the exclusive link to join our Discord server. And you can join one of those monthly book quests for Christian made fantastical novels. We just got done with H.L. Burke's uh, superhero YA book, Power On. Uh, lots of great discussion about that one. And now we're delving into this Mesoamerican fantasy for a bit of an older audience. And it comes with a few disclaimers, which I find fascinating because there are human sacrifices in this story. Uh, this is a pagan world. Ah, uh, with people who are doing pagan things, and as Josiah De Graff uh, just wrote about in an article at Lorehaven, like this is a way to present non-Christian characters sympathetically. You can relate to people in stories like this, and I think that Zach is part of learning to love your enemy. You know, to see your enemy as human but still an enemy. Uh, you know, that call to love your enemy is never going to change, but how we work that out is going to require wisdom, uh, given the culture that we're in. Uh, which does relate to The Seventh Son, even though the story is much more about law versus grace and how you respond to these uh, ritualistic commandments of men, you know, as opposed to a more Christian-ish idea of grace and forgiveness, uh, which uh, Lonnie Forbes works out in this Mesoamerican world with gods and goddesses, which leads to plenty of challenges. So join our book quest already underway for The Seventh Son by subscribing to Lorehaven and joining the Lorehaven Guild Discord server.
1: All right, number 7 is a little bit of uh, inception here, or a little bit of a n- of a nesting uh, algorithm. Uh, our number 7 spot was our episode 4, so this is from 2 years ago. And that topic was what are the top recent debates among Christian fantasy fans? And that was where we sorted through the top 10 articles in 2019 on our prior website Speculative Faith, and then Stephen and I, you know, kind of went through those top debates and and how we thought those were going to play out for the year. So uh, Speculative Faith was the, kind of the blog that Lorehaven grew out of, and now new content, new articles are coming on lorehaven.com and not Speculative Faith. But you can still find all those articles, and you know, you, you'll be able to find it through a link in the show notes. But yeah, it, it is kind of interesting now that that, that garnered uh, – that, that's our number seven spot. A lot of people listen to that because they want to know, hey, well, what is everyone talking about, debating about, and what are all these, uh, these issues?
0: just in terms of knowing how to serve your audience it's encouraging to see that many of our earliest episodes are actually the most popular which tells me as i'm looking at at least our limited data on the back end oh people are going back to the beginning of the podcast and they're binging their way through and in that case i think some of these titles just rise to the top i'll note in some of these upcoming titles uh kind of poking a little fun of ourselves uh, that i mean I, I get to name most of the titles here and my philosophy is to try to serve the reader By drawing out the most interesting conflicts in the topic at hand you know not for conflict's own sake but because that's what makes a good story you have a protagonist and an antagonist you have a place you're trying to go and something that's trying to stop you so uh, in a story as in a reality as in a podcast title that makes for a good title and so when you say top recent debates in a title like this one uh, at least to me the thinking is okay top implies people are talking about this you know this is the most popular you want to be popular too you want to be the cool kids recent it's happening you just missed it fear of missing out and then debates people are going to fight uh so what i want to do in naming these episodes just a little behind the scenes is attract the reader i am just a little bit attractional ministry there zach i don't you know i hope i hope i don't fall into the traps there But what we want to do is then, you know, attract the listener and then go through this in as biblical and as peaceable, but as realistic a manner we possibly can. And even for older topics, uh, like going back to 2019, like the Captain Marvel movie, uh, the topic of whether Christians should enjoy fantasy. And of course, three of the best words you can put into an article heading at Lorehaven or the previous Speculative Faith, the words Game of Thrones sex. I could just title every single article Game of Thrones sex uh, for a while there. And it would be just the top red article on the site. So I was homeschooled, so I am allergic to trends, so I kind of actually backed away from that on purpose because I didn't want to become, oh, that's the website that's always you know talking about Game of Thrones sex for the clickbait. Uh, <laughs> didn't want to do that. So I think it was two articles that uh, that year had to do with Game of Thrones. I actually wrote one, yeah, because people were then talking about the uh, the show finale back then. And they're mocking the fans of the show by saying, sorry, your dragon show ended stupidly. And I got a little annoyed on behalf of the, you know, the sexy game of Thrones shows fans. And like, don't, don't make fun of them like that. Uh, It's, it's not good to make fun of people for being in a fandom. Now you might make fun of them if they're in it for the pornography that's in the show. But in this case, it wasn't the porn that uh, the fans were lamenting. Uh, It was the, uh, the apparently lackluster finish to the show and, I could at once make the point, you know, like, I'm not sure exactly how else you expected an admittedly grim, dark, nihilistic storyline to end when you're building the whole thing on the premise of basically nobody is virtuous and everybody is getting naked in order to get power, Uh, but you can sympathize with someone while they're undergoing the consequences for their show's own eroding worldview. Uh, On another note, uh, just the fact that we have uh, as our number seven top episode here, a a variety show with multiple topics, Uh, Zach, that does give me some confidence that, hey, you know, the hodgepodge topic episodes do work. Uh, I like to stick close to one theme for most of our episodes, but every once in a while, we just throw in a bunch of stuff like this episode and then kind of tie it all together like we're doing now.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that uh, one of those top 10 from 2019 was... Uh, an article that someone wrote about Ted Chiang's uh, short story. That's vintage speculative faith. Like, yeah, that that
0: goes back to the late 2000s. That
1: that continues to get traffic. and so You know, I really like him as an author, and I I loved Arrival. Uh, I've seen that many, many times. Uh, It's based on a short story he wrote, which is also great. Um, And so he's one of those authors I kind of keep my eye on. But um, what else from that uh, top ten? Oh, yeah, show... Christian white magic and how that was my article. Yes, also, yeah, how Cr- Christians can have uh you know kind of superstitions, basically. Yeah, that that's takes. a
0: clickbait title. I I must admit, <laughs> I, I did get some traction from that phrase, uh, and and I mean, I've not moved away from that though. You know, I just try to be yeah. maybe. I think I mentioned this in the show. I try to be a little gentler in how I challenge someone who may be falling into uh, a practice of spiritual manipulation to try to get more of God's blessing in their lives, or try to control the future, or something like that. It's it's, it's tricky.
1: Yeah. Well, and then, uh, see another one should, how to stand up to the YA fantasy and Puritans, you know, cancel culture, not going away, sadly. Yeah, that's uh, seeing a lot of that happen happening right now. I think it's just this, uh, virus that continues to mutate and take on new forms. It's just, you know, moral panic basically. So, uh, you know, that, that's always, that's an evergreen article, even though it's about a very specific book.
0: Yeah, back then, uh, Zach, briefly to flesh that out, I've not seen recently uh, similar uh, social media driven, you know, mob pitchfork waving cancellation attempts of a YA fantasy author. Uh, And uh, it occurs to me that this one here back in 2019 uh, may have been the first most notable incident of that. Uh, And I wonder, though, if the reason why we're not seeing them is because a bunch of those general market publishers uh, put in all of their infrastructure on the back end, you know, a bunch of, uh, spin artists and sensitivity reader panels and stuff like that to try to keep that from happening. So if I'm right, then the cancel culture won and we're just not yes. seeing these campaigns waged it. so publicly. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the publishing pros we know have, have told us like, you know, in confidence that yes, that's going on, you know, even at some Christian publishers, uh, and I don't want you know readers being unnecessarily offended by Christian books, uh, but as uh, Mike Duran was talking about in another article last week uh, touching on the uh, rings of power, diversity, controversy, you know violating Tolkien's Canon and all of that, uh, that's not a good place to be where you're putting in those rules uh, for uh, particular sensitivities and such that are divorced from the gospel. Uh, it just strikes me as a kind of uh, secular legalism uh that we risk adopting if we're not careful. And it's just gonna be another purity culture, dare I say it, or a clean yeah. fiction standard all over again. Only I must say that Christians made up some of the previous clean fiction standards. No drinking, no cussing, no dancing, you know, all of that uh cliche legalistic stuff from the 50s and such. Like this is just another version of that. Uh, but we got this one from the world, uh, rather than home growing other <laughs> particular cultural standards. Uh, right in the backyards of our own churches. Speaking of Christian labeling, that brings us to our number six episode on the top 10 fantastical truth uh, episode list. This is actually our very second episode, episode two. What do we mean by saying it's a Christian story? I think I remember Zach and I planning this one fairly early because we knew that we wanted to do a timely episode for episode one, uh, which we ended up doing, and it's later on in this list. But episode two is kind of evergreen, and this was the description for that. Christian fans often discuss and debate this question, what do we mean by saying that a story is a Christian story? Also, should Christian fans feel they should look for the Christian label? Many people say they prefer avoiding the label, such as critics of Christian movies or Christian books, who might say, we don't need any more Christian stories, we just need more good stories that happen to be made by Christians. Let's talk about what images and meanings we have when we say a Christian story or a Christian movie. That's the episode description, and again, Zach, kind of a keystone topic here. I'm glad that it's popular. I keep saying that, and it just shows that we have great listeners, I think, who gravitate toward these kinds of topics. Christians assume we know what we mean when we say, well, it's uh, it's a Christian book, it's a Christian movie, and then other people push back and they go, ah, the movie can't be Christian, only people can be Christian. I split the difference, and I say, if a Christian made it, then the thing is Christian, and I don't mind using the adjective. And then other people get all upset. They're like, well, all the things labeled Christians are inferior products. And I don't go for that. And we flesh that out in in other episodes. Uh, There are, as actually Thomas Imstep pointed out a couple of episodes ago, uh, if you widen your view beyond just the evangelical Christian stuff, then you know, for example, among independently made movies, there is a lot of stupid, badly made, independently made movies out there. You only see the Christian movies because first, there are fewer of them. And second, maybe you just grew up Christian and that's all, you know, and then you look out in the world and you are comparing, you know, the bad, cheap Christian movie to Avengers Endgame, you know, the $2 billion uh, blockbuster superhero smash hit. Like it's comparing uh, apples to very moldy prunes that you found at the bottom of the garbage can. It just doesn't make any sense to make that kind of comparison. But before we can do the applications there, it makes sense to figure out what do we mean by the Christian label? Is there some some theology behind this? Like, what are we talking about when we say that a person is a Christian or a thing is Christian?
1: Okay, so t- time for a pop quiz, Stephen. Gonna put you on the spot with something. Uh, you and I have talked offline about the sci-fi novel, The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, uh, which is about a group of Jesuit missionaries that travel to uh, Alpha Centauri on a spaceship and as missionaries to to preach the word and and so forth and of course uh, things go horribly wrong. Uh, so here's my question. Well, well, first of all, did you did you finish reading the story?
0: I've not yet finished reading the story. Okay. and thank you That's so much fine. for bringing that up. While you're at it, yeah. why don't you just give me a nice paper, cut and pour lemon juice on it.
1: <laughs> so uh, I mean, you you know enough about the story, you know, being in the middle of it to to answer this question is that a christian story no and why would you say no because it's a book about christianity by a non-christian author
0: uh if if, yeah. if we stretch it and say okay the jesuit order is christian and of course a lot of people you know a lot of grumpy protestants and happy protestants would contest that i think it's a secular book about christianity which i'm fine with you know yeah. people always bring in this uh, this this uh, kind of this backloaded assumption like well if you say it's not a christian story then secretly you mean we ought not read it like uh, don't make that assumption. That is not at all what I'm saying. Like non-Christians make fantastic stories. I just I just divide those from the stories made by my brothers and sisters in Christ, which may be great. They may be terrible. Um, yeah. But I, I think a Christian can make a Christian book that is not about Christianity. But also a second- well, That, that was my
1: follow-up question. Yeah, 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 not, yeah. What about a book by a Christian author with no Christian characters in it, nothing overtly Christian, no Bible verses, no altar calls, and maybe it's not even a clean book. Like, is that a Christian book? If the
0: person is a Christian, then I say yes, yes, it is. And and, and I I stretch that pretty far. Like my go-to example is um, uh, director Scott Derrickson, uh, who uh, directed the first Doctor Strange movie and a couple of uh, horror movies. Like you know, he has independent filmmaker roots, and then he got to make a, a Marvel movie a few years ago. Um, he's actually basically on the left. I mean, he's an, he's a left evangelical, but he's also very public. Uh, About his profession of faith, and I think that that makes could make depending on his level of involvement there. You know, Marvel's kind of a corporation, but it could mean that Doctor Strange is a Christian movie. (laughs) It could, it could. Now, like I I said, like that's kind of the outer limits of how far I would push that one. I think my, my, you know, most of what I'm thinking, of course, is like a Christian who writes a book, you know, whether or not it specifically deals with Christianity and whether or not it's published by a publisher marketed as Christian or whether or not they put the Christian label on the back of it. Um, I think that that still makes that a Christian book. But the only exception would be if the author is professing Christian, but all they ever talk about is how stupid the church is or how much they're not that kind of Christian or maybe they're syncretistic like we talked about in our celebrity episode a few episodes ago, and maybe they're trying to blend the gospel with gospel or anti-gospel beliefs. Like that gives me pause. It doesn't mean you are not a Christian or it's not a Christian book. But as I said in that episode, like I'm not going to promote that book, you know, as if it's a Christian book until the jury comes back. You know, I want to know, okay, did you come back to the gospel? Like, did you get rid of your deconstruction kid stage? Or are you just going to kind of stay there for the foreseeable future? Because it does tend to attract a particular kind of highly invested audience. And so there's incentive in that.
1: Well, and I think this is a lot easier or at least a lot simpler issue when it comes to books, because books have generally one author, you know, you talk about Dr. Strange potentially being a Christian movie and it's like, well, maybe, but he's one of
0: many creators there. Yeah. And drawing from the source material, which is exactly. very mystical. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and then I, but I even think about the other direction. You know, there's been a lot of hubbub about The Chosen because it's filmed a lot of it in Utah in connection with the uh, Latter day Saint Church. And so people are saying, wait, is this a Christian movie or a Mormon TV series? And, you know, how no, is like, that a Christian work TV and, series?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say right.
1: that. Well, yes, but it, <laughs> You know, it just brings in this funny thing that we have about, well, how can it be a Christian movie if there's non-Christian actors or producers or locations? And again, it, it's it's like, what is the intention behind the, the movie or the TV show or the book? I, I think that's what matters a lot more. But again, I think with books, this is a much simpler issue. So let's just move on to uh, number five, which is episode 80. What if Satan is planning alien conspiracies for the end times? And this is where we brought on Darby Kern, who is uh, the mind behind the Jake Moeller Adventures audio drama. So this was a, this is a really fun episode with Darby. And here was the description. What if you went hunting in the woods and found a Louisiana girl who had just been dropped off by a UFO. Then you tried to help her out while reconnecting with your past and dropped into that crazy world of conspiracies and possible preparation for the end times. Will Satan or perhaps his human agents use extraterrestrial myths to warm us up for tribulation? Darby Curran, writer and producer of the Jake Muller adventures unidentified and many other audio dramas joined us to explore this challenging world from a biblical worldview. Stephen, that was a really fun episode. Of course, you know, UFOs, you got my attention. I'm such an X files fan for, from forever ago. Uh, but that was really fun talking with, with, uh, Darby about this and how all of this relates to end times views. I I think Darby and I are probably going to end up on different sides of some, you know, eschatology, which is fine because I understand his eschatology. It's kind of what I used to believe or where I came from, I guess. Uh, But, you know, it was all in, all in good fun, very friendly discussion about that. Um, And yes, you know, conspiracies, of course, Oh, conspiracy theories. That's a, that's a big trigger word right now, all over social media. People don't talk about the end times as much. I feel like I mean they joke about oh this is World War Three or whatever we
0: Revelations. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> can you
0: find how many how many clickbait words can you find in that right. title? By design, <laughs> I count four and possibly an honorary fifth, and they are in order: Satan, alien conspiracies. And then a compound word here, end yeah. times. We That's, should have
1: put cabal in there or uh, oh, you know, a yeah. secret society. Sex,
0: Game of Thrones, violence, <laughs> bad words, dirty, yeah. you know, words like that. Just uh, There's a particular kind of heat uh, to those words. Uh, but the point, again, in the headline is to connote accurately what is in the episode. And this episode does what it says on the tin. Oh, that honorary fifth word, by the way, is adventures. You know, I'd like to think that that's a clickbait word as well, but I imagine that uh, more people favor the clickbait word alien. And of course, this is not the last time we'll see an alien show on this list. We've got quite a few of them. Uh, Darby's a fantastic guest. I look forward to having him back. He's still working on audio dramas, uh, not just uh, Jake Mulder adventures. Uh, We actually got the excerpt of the audio drama in that episode, which I really appreciated uh, courtesy of Darby there. And it was a great discussion. As you mentioned, Zach, uh, a very friendly discussion with some different end times views. You know, me taking the position of end times system agnostic uh, because I am, uh, you know, I, I think, by the way, you know, Darby might say, well, like Zach, I, I used to believe as you believed, you know. So I, I think Christians can be expected to go back and forth on some of these beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's not hard and fast. Yeah. And maybe that is by God's design. I forget if I said this in the episode. But my little Christian fan theory is that God left some end times confusion in the Bible, uh, at least about the exact layout of events or whether or not Jesus comes back before this or that. I think he did that in there to keep us busy. Uh, I think that we would get into far worse Christian fights on social media and in real life uh, if we didn't have this kind of safe field of disagreement uh, to spar upon. And that field is the end times field. Uh, some Christians, of course, take that too far, but I say the more discussion about these things, the better. Uh, for my part, I can say that a little more safely because I'm still kind of agnostic uh, about you know what the devil is doing or when the Antichrist is going to get here. Um, I just want to skip all that and get to the new heavens and new earth. But obviously, God put the book of Revelation in the Bible with more chapters than just Revelation 21 through 22. Uh, he seems to at least not hate it. God seems not to hate it. When we go in there with our magnifying glasses and maybe even our newspapers and our charts with all the arrows on them and trying to figure out where we put the United States or maybe aliens or maybe terrorists or maybe alien terrorists hiding in the United States. Uh, It's something that we can do, I think, without sinning. And I hope that that episode fulfilled this goal.
1: Yeah, I really got to read one of these uh, stories that connects aliens to the end times. I'm actually going back. Do they have those? I read. Well, I I'm sure there is. I just haven't <laughs> maybe one or two or, out
0: there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe they even have nephilim.
1: <laughs> but I've actually been going back through books I read 20 years ago, the uh the Christ Clone trilogy. I'm about halfway through the first book, In His Image, and that's kind of like a a shorter version of Left Behind in some ways and that it's basically the same eschatology that the pre pre-millennial pre tribulation rapture theology. Um, but it's told from the perspective of basically someone who's a non-Christian through the entire tribulation. And it also, it deals with, uh, cloned, uh, cells from the shroud of Turin and in a clone of Jesus that I mean, spoiler alert, but not really. It's, it's the antichrist done. And you know, I, I absolutely love this book. I I remember why I like it. Um, I read this first as an ebook on my Palm pilot. Uh, oh, Twenty years ago, when those were around, yes. okay, yeah, and then that was a. Uh, it, it used an ebook store that went out of business, and so I lost all of these titles, and so I've just been buying them up at used bookstores, and yeah, I've, I've been buying up the Left Behind books. I got a few of them now. I think there's something really important, Stephen, about how we need to preserve our own history, and our own the, the stories that made an impact on us, and not just throw them out. Uh, Because again, I've said this a few times, we are in the middle of a cultural revolution that is trying to erase our history in all kinds of ways. And I think it's very important that we hang on to that and hang on to those things that God has used in positive ways in our life, even if we, you know, we're not a huge fan of them anymore. But I, you know, I intend to introduce my kids to all these stories at some point. I mean, it may freak them out a little bit. My oldest daughter read The uh, Left Behind for Kids and made it about halfway through, and she's like, eh, I don't know about this. I don't know if I'm ready for this, especially going through a global pandemic. She's like, maybe I'll wait until things are a little bit well, better. Well, now we got ourselves go a nice that. little
0: red horseman of the apocalypse uh, stamping around <laughs> in the stable, uh, yes. wanting to get out there and charge up the place. So yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe not the best stuff to get into. But I wonder if we will get an end times fiction revival if we do end up in God forbid, a, a, a world of war of some kind. Uh, I don't know. I, I did see that on the Christian fantasy list, there was at least one End Times thriller set that I'd never even heard of. So they're still out there, apparently, uh, being independently published, if nothing else. Uh, of course, uh, Darby, before he was doing the uh, the Jake Muller adventures, uh, he was able to adapt all of the Left Behind Kids books for dramatic audio, uh, and also had a hand in uh, adapting the, the Grown Up series uh, for or at least the last uh, one or two of them uh, for, the, uh, for that dramatic audio edition. I, I, like the, I like the audio drama better. Of course, I'm a big fan of audio drama, uh, especially Adventures in Odyssey. We just talked about a couple of episodes ago. So uh, it was great to explore I, that, as well as De aliens.
1: Yeah, and I still think, look, whatever you think about, whatever your eschatology is. Because again, I, my other favorite book is The Lamb Among the Stars, which is post-millennial. Not, also not my view. But I, th- I think any of these books are so much better than the secular alternative end times view that we're being given all the time, which is this obsession with the end of history and this, you know, all seeing eye at the end of history. And are you going to be on the right side of history? And again, it's part of that whole cultural revolution. So I'd look, I'd rather read any Christian end times book from any perspective, any day of the week, rather than all this, you know, nonsense that's coming out. So, uh, I'll have to listen to Jake's stories, too. They they sound great. I'm sorry, Darby's stories, uh, but the Jake Mueller story.
0: I second that about preferring end times fiction from the Christian perspective, even the cheap stuff uh, over this uh, cornball secular approach <laughs> that we're getting from the world. I don't, they don't even make a, a fiction series about that. They can't even put it into uh, put it into fiction form. They just got to keep it hovering out there like an abstract fear uh, that uh, that we've got to deal with all the time, supposedly. Uh, but I'm not going to read adult Christian or adult coloring books. I'm not going to read Christian adult coloring books uh, <laughs> that uh, show near-death experiences or any of the other Christian trends. Like I think that part I'm perfectly fine. If we allow that to fade away, uh, take it up with our, uh, with our inbox uh, podcast at lorehaven.com. If you want to defend them anyway, number four, so number <laughs> our, our uh, fourth uh, top episode here is actually the first episode of fantastical truth, excepting the teaser we did way back in January, 2020. Uh, I know there's lots of older podcasts, but hey, it's ours, folks. This one uh, is episode one. What if the three wise men actually wanted to crown a king? It's our holiday special uh, exploring uh, Patrick W. Carr's novel, The End of the Magi. We launched the podcast with this episode. Uh, it's a biblical historical fiction book. Uh, fantastical enough to make it. We also explored in this episode, what was the star of Bethlehem? Why did the wise men connect the star with the Messiah? And what did the Magi hope to do after they found the Messiah? I. I think that was a great way to launch a podcast. Uh, it was just actually like it was a couple of weeks after Christmas, but I think we recorded it during epiphany. So just slipped in under that wire. I still think it was a good first episode uh, recorded pre pandemic era. If you can believe it. The only thing I'd say that if we had to do it over, uh, I would have invited Patrick Carr himself uh, to be on the podcast. Uh, I haven't seen him as much lately, but this was a good book uh, back when we were doing the Lord Heyman print issue. Uh, we put him and uh, The End of the Magi on the cover. Uh, just a really great interview, if you haven't seen it, uh, about his journey as a fantastic novelist, writing some pretty thick books there for a while and uh, going, uh, going a bit into some discouragement uh, just because he was working so hard. Uh, but this clearly was a story from his heart, and we appreciated exploring that and also bouncing off it to ask about that uh, planetary conjunction of Jupiter and whatever was going on uh, to make the actual star of Bethlehem nearly 2,000 years ago.
1: Yeah, when I was in college, there was a professor, uh, Rick Larson, that did a presentation about the Star of Bethlehem from an astronomical uh, point of view with using some software, and it was really cool to see that. I remember taking a classmate to it, and my classmate just went, wow, like his his jaw literally just dropped open. And so um, I'm fascinated by this topic. I love astronomy. So uh, that was a, that was a really fun episode to kick us off with. And let's go to our third top episode. This was episode 70. Why did a 1980s televangelist try to cancel the role playing game Dragon Raid? And we had its uh, creator on, or it's, uh, I guess, it's uh, the, the it's new steward. version of it. He's a yeah, steward the steward of, the of game. it. Thank yes. you. That was James R. Hannibal. And the description there is What if you grew up learning scripture memory and biblical virtue from a Christian made tabletop game system? Then you discovered that game had been canceled by an irritated televangelist in the 1980s. That's a decent setup for a contemporary novel, but in fact, it's a true story. And that's when uh, James Hannibal joined us to talk about this game that uses discipleship, dice rolling, and themes of death and rebirth. Steven, uh, since we've done this episode, some interesting things have happened. So I grew up playing role-playing games, and then I so, yeah i've shared a little before I, I not necessarily because of those games but kind of in relation to those games got really hooked into mystical and occult style beliefs and so i became a christian years later and i just said you know to heck with all this and i just got rid of all that uh but a game that was at the center of that was this um, or the the first role playing game i played was shadow run because of course i'd never heard of dragon raid i didn't grow up knowing about christian games And since this episode, I've actually found some Shadowrun novels that I've been reading through and they're kind of interesting. Um, it's not as good as I guess I thought it was, but it's still kind of fun to go there. And then the other thing that's happened is I found out the wheel of time had a role playing game about 20 years ago. And, um, I met a, um, a believer recently that's from the middle East and he had that role playing game. Like he had bought it, I guess when it came out, he was a huge, fantasy nerd before he was a Christian, just like me. And he's read through the whole thing, but he's never played it. And uh, I looked it up on eBay and it's like going for like $700 because they don't print it anymore. And so, and uh, I go every now and then to this uh, board game cafe and I just kind of keep looking at the RPG section. I'm like, you know, maybe I'd like to try this out. Maybe with dragon raid, maybe with Wheel time shadow I don't really care, but I, I really like this idea of creating a story live with other friends, which is how I've really come to see role-playing games is that you are, uh, you are making a collaborative story. Now, obviously your mileage may vary. You may have different convictions about all this, and that's totally fine to your listener. Uh, but this was a great episode with James because the, uh, Dragon Raid is not exactly like one of these Dungeons and Dragons style games. It's much more like Awana's, (laughs) Uh, than anything else really out there yeah
0: unlike you i actually did not grow up playing those kinds of tabletop games there were no convictions in my house or anything like that it was just something i was not familiar with so as a result now i appreciate and really like seeing uh this area of subculture taking off and becoming so mainstream not just dungeons and dragons but volumes of podcasts and youtube channels and now uh inspired by tv shows and other media uh celebrating not just the Dungeons and Dragons universe, for example, but the fans who are making their own stories, you know, using these role-playing rules. And I, I think that's a that's a fun way to enjoy fantasy. You know, you get to be a creator, but you're not trying to be a professional author or something. You're just having fun telling a story. And there's something very humble and childlike about that. I only wish mm-hmm. that it didn't take me so much work to participate in it myself. Like I tend <laughs> to be a very uh, isolated, uh, fiction creator, uh, in my case, like I am a planner. I'm not good at improv when it comes to creating a mm. fictional world. Uh, you know, my outline is almost as big as a book itself. You know, yes, I'm that guy. So I struggle <laughs> with this and I wish that I didn't. And I, it's good to see uh, that there is a Christian version of this. I mean, it's not just a Christian yeah. version of D and D it's its own thing, as James told right. us in that episode. Right. Uh, and James is continuing, uh, to, uh, Handle that rebirth of Dragon Raid, which now is known as Light Raider Academy. It's Shining Bright. Uh, last month they shared an update about a spin-off game. It's part of the little franchise called Star Lots: the Game. A lot of people on Kickstarter helped them get started, and you can get more uh, updates by finding the link in our show notes uh, to follow them on social media. Uh, this is all part of them putting together this kind of this Light Raiders uh, universe of interconnected games, which I think, mm-hmm. as James told us, uh, will be compatible with Dragon Raid. But they just decided That's to It's a kind great of, approach. Uh, yeah, yeah. That way, you know, you you, you have your vintage uh, Dragon Raid set, which I think they're still out there. Uh they're still out there after it was effectively canceled by this crusading televangelist <laughs> in the nineteen eighties. But so then it's crazy. uh it's experiencing a rebirth for a new generation, uh, and now also has uh, the novel out Wolf Soldier, which is set uh, in that light raider academy universe. Uh by the way, uh once again, uh through uh no uh no of course plenty of credit to uh, James Hannibal, but also uh you're going to get far i think with the podcast episode by putting the 1980s in the headline so you get nostalgia points uh but also another one of those hot words televangelist for some reason that just has kind of this uh this garish effect of ooh what's that over there oh it's you can a picture it in your head yeah. yes you can you know they they <laughs> they want that you know right branding them televangelists. but uh, this year was not a shining moment uh, for the chap who decided that Dragon Raid was evil and needed to be canceled back in the 80s and effectively bankrupted the original, uh, the original effort. Uh, there is a creator named Dick Wolf, who I think he actually just uh, died right before, I think it was a couple of weeks before uh, we released this episode. Uh, and so uh, effectively, it's in, in memory of this guy whom we never met, uh, but still has a legacy uh, that now James Hannibal, a novelist in his own right, is uh, being blessed to carry forward.
1: Now, Steven, you saying that you're more of a plotter when it comes to writing your own fiction plot, -er I think, I think, I think you would make a fantastic uh, DM or GM dungeon master, game master, whatever you want to call it. And I think light Raiders has its own term for that, but that's the person that's in charge of the, of the game that kind of lays out the story and then, you know, gives the different options and choices to the players at each point. I think you would be perfect for that. I've actually been told
0: this and I think that'd be a lousy one because first it would have to be a position attained through nepotism or desperation because I've not played (laughs) it enough to be able to know what it's like on the ground. And secondly, I think I would be that guy who would be annoyed by all of the players' hijinks. Like, wait a minute, we've got a story to finish here. You weren't supposed to skip this puzzle. I spent 14 hours putting together this puzzle. It's a darn clever puzzle. Like, I would not want me as a DM. I just, I can say that with some measure of confidence.
1: Well, to each his own.
0: Yeah. So speaking of redeeming and defining the gift of imagination, uh, we're closing in on our top episodes here. And this is our number two top episode of uh, Fantastical Truth thus far. Most listened to, according to the data, is episode seven, How Does Jesus Define and Redeem His Gift of Imagination? We had guest Brian Gadawa with us, and this is the description for that one. Behold, the not shortest episode of Fantastical Truth. This time we delve into the deep doctrine magic of God's gift of human imagination. We trace the development of biblical imagination through God's creation of the universe, man's fall into corruption, Christ's redemption in the law and gospel across both testaments, and Christ's future for our renewed world. That's the description, and it's another big idea there. Brian was a great guest to explore that with us. I'm glad that this one's proven popular because that understanding of imagination as God's gift to people, and therefore subject to his commands to use it for his glory and not for our own glory, that is a foundational idea to everything that Lorehaven does, and therefore also fantastical truth. That's also how we're able to do episodes uh, that are more broadly related to human imagination and not just fantasy and science fiction and superheroes and stuff. Uh, imagination is that key concept and we've got to understand and define that biblically.
1: Yeah, I re- definitely recommend you follow Brian Gadawa, his blog, his Twitter. He writes about just great things. He's on uh, podcasts, So he's very active and, and very much talks about this space of the Christian imagination. So, um, I loved every minute of that conversation with him. I think about it a lot. Um, so definitely go back and listen to that one if you haven't, or check out some of Brian's new stuff now. And we're down to our number one most listened to episode, which was episode 22. How do Christians discern UFO accounts in light of scripture? Now this was one, this was our first of many episodes that we've done about ufos we talked about the uh, jake moeller adventures about stories uh that christians make about ufos in the end times and we've done a couple of these but this was kind of our inaugural episode i had to bug Stephen for a couple of weeks to say trust trust me like we have yes. to talk about this aliens. we ended up doing kind of a series <laughs> within a series called armies yeah. of the
0: aliens and zach had to bug me because Although I know that this, you know, I, I knew, okay, we do a show about aliens, <laughs> put aliens in the title. That's one of those hot clickbait words and everybody's going to flood in. And what do you know? I was right. But Zach was right that we had to do it anyway. We ended up titling the series armies of the aliens, uh, yeah. which is a phrase, I think for the book of Hebrews that isn't actually about aliens from space, right. uh, but it or kind of it? works as a title. It sounds biblical. <laughs> yeah. We, we hope we approach this from a biblical vantage
1: yeah, I mean, I'm, again, I'm a big geek for this because I grew up in the X Files and everything. Um, but you know, there's a serious reason I'm interested in this too, which is a entirely new mythology is forming around these stories. A, a very different worldview. I don't know if I'd call it exactly a religion, as much as it is a fascination people have. Um, but it is forming a lot of people's view of reality and you know human history and and eschatology. And so uh, I think it's important to know what people are saying and also important to know what's actually happening in reality. It's not just people's imagination. There are real events that are happening that are being documented by the government, by fighter pilots, uh, recorded on video, on infrared, thermal, audio. um, And there's been a, a few things recently since a couple of these episodes. There's not really one big thing I would point to to say everyone's talking about this. Um, but what, what I have been able to find recently, cause I had have, honestly, I haven't been paying too much attention to it.
0: And we got is, wars uh, now, not there's plagues and wars, well, aliens, you're going to have to wait in line.
1: Okay. There is something fun. I'll tell you about the Ukraine Russia war in a second as it relates to UFOs.
0: Is, is it actually aliens? So hang
1: hang on just Ancient a minute. Aliens? I'll tell you. Okay. But, uh, some of the more run of the mill kind of news is that the U S is, uh, the U S government is looking to establish a permanent UFO office. Now there's been a lot of congressional debate about how this should take place and who should be in charge of it. The Air Force kind of wants control and they seem to want to hide everything. Uh James, I love you, but man, I we may see differently on this, and don't don't hate me, James Hannibal. But uh the, the Air Force uh special investigations uh has a very different view of this than the DIA than has uh a couple of our congressmen that look into this. So there's anyway, there's a lot of political debate about how the government should document and make all these things known. Uh, but while that's going on, Canada, the government of Canada just released a UFO report. And then there's a ongoing investigation of these swarms of UFOs uh, that went around the USS kid. It was a Naval destroyer off the West coast in uh, 2019, I believe. And then there's some other really weird things, Stephen. There's uh, these meta materials that are being studied openly. the the people are saying these came from crashed ufos there are uh human effects that are being medically studied people saying hey i got close to a ufo and look i've got these burns or i've got cancer or i've got all kinds of weird things Burns and
0: cancer not superpowers yeah right No telepathy no levitation (laughs) abilities just burns and cancer well that's kind of
1: yeah and uh some of this came out through a book called, uh, skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And this was written by James Lekatsky, who was the, uh, basically the, uh, one of the inaugural leaders of this Pentagon effort to document UFOs. And this dealt with the skinwalker ranch area in Utah. That's now a reality show on the history channel. Uh, and there's some really bizarre stories from that. I don't know what to think of a lot of it, but. The point is this is still gaining momentum. I wouldn't say there's anything really big on the horizon, but I promised you a fun story. Fun. If you can call that from the U- Ukraine Russia war. So this is a, believe it or not, a story from CBN. Yes. That CBN and Christian uh, broadcasting he- network. Yes. Okay. And the headline is some kind of lightning shooting from the sky. So a, uh, the CBN Ukraine director, uh, and I can't pronounce this right, Konstantin Litvinenko, he explained that they're experiencing some divine intervention. He shares a story of a man that was serving in the Ukrainian army. I'm just going to quote from the article here. It says, quote, he said that the man told him on one dark night, the soldiers were holding their positions and discovered there were a lot of Russian Federation tanks and other mobile units coming directly at them. It appeared the soldiers would have trouble defending themselves. The son picked up his phone and called his father. He said, dad, you have to pray right now. We're in a situation. So the father called other members of their church and asked them to start praying. Later, the son called his father back. He said, there's some kind of miracle that happened. It looked like an attack on the Russians from a spaceship. Oh, we in revelations. There was some kind of lightning shooting from the sky and sparks were spreading everywhere. And in the morning, the Ukrainian troops discovered that the Russian tanks and other mobile units had been destroyed. What? <laughs> well, it's Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, and it was kind of lame.
0: Yeah, I actually so, made a meme not too long ago. It was the whatever is the anime kid who's gesturing vaguely toward the butterfly, and the butterfly is labeled "Putin invades anything," and the kid is gesturing, and it's lab- <laughs> he's labeled "Prophecy Pros." And what he's saying is, "Is this
1: Gog is this and Magog?" Gog and Magog. Yes. Yeah. yeah uh huh. Well, and that's, you know, so the UFO community is going crazy with this. Um, The the Christian community is obviously saying, hey, this was God's intervention. It must have been some angel that, yes, angels look really freaking weird. Like they look like spaceships when you read Ezekiel. Of course, it could be U.S directed energy weapons that they're secretly helping Ukraine with, you know, who
0: knows? Oh, I hope But not, uh, that, that would get really messy. <laughs> it would get really messy. <laughs> yeah, you know, All of the, it's fascinating to explore. And like, I, I still, I forget if it was this episode or one of our sequels where I mentioned my, my old theory there, which, you know, I don't, I don't get into the reports or the books and materials as much as Zach does. Like I am more agnostic on this topic, but I find it fascinating from an imaginative perspective and for what it reveals about, I think human nature. And I mentioned in one of our episodes that I am not necessarily persuaded uh, that it's Mr. Reputable Five Star General X or, you know, Mr. like super mathematical smart, you know, high IQ uh, technician or pilot Z uh, who are saying, Hey, I saw some aliens. I saw some things I can't explain. Like, I think that if anything, those accounts coming from such people in high positions who are very smart, very left brained. My theory is that this actually supports uh, my idea that people who get that high in a materialist and militaristic culture, which is very high pressure, uh, and as I said, very, you know officially it's materialism on the books, folks, even though there's lots of Christians and people from traditional religions in those fields, I think that that desire for the supernatural uh, has got to go somewhere, and you suppress it in a culture like that, maybe necessarily in order to win wars and move up the system. Uh, It's got to go somewhere. Uh, And the top ranking mythologies you mentioned Zach right now, kind of going back to the forties and fifties when they were doing their test flights in the desert and all of that, like the sci-fi itch got into that culture early. Uh, And it's just, it's a meme that spreads and like, that doesn't mean these people haven't seen anything or whatever. I just, I think that human psychology can be very complicated Uh, And it's, it's my theory that those religious impulses are working themselves out. Uh, It is true that for thousands of years of human history, people have seen strange stuff, whether it's demons playing tricks or some kind of divine activity, like in Russia with Ukraine or whatever. Uh, I think that people will jump to explain those as spaceships, whereas in the medieval period, and they may have said um, it was angel. You know, I saw Mm -hmm. a Marian visitation, you know, I saw Saint, what's her name? Uh, and, you know, and she put her shape into this roll of bread and now we keep it on display at, the, at a cathedral someplace, you know, uh, like he said, I think it's just a secular manifestation of a very longer uh, religious level of traditions, people seeing things, saying things, you know, and then you're not quite sure whether it was a ghost or the Virgin Mary or an alien in a spaceship. And I think it's just, it's just humans are going to human and I'm kind of comfortable with that. And it doesn't do anything for me that oh this guy was super smart and you know high ranking in the military like well if anything that gives him more pressure and more suppression for any of those religious impulses
1: yeah I I think there's a number of things that could be true I I don't exactly know what to think you know people have always had a belief in something beyond this world uh, certainly they did in the the BC era but even now in this secular and material of a world that we live in. People are very much drawn to the idea of there being something beyond this earth, whether it's extraterrestrial, interdimensional, supernatural. And I, I think more than anything, it, it really shows that we know that we don't just live in a physical reality. We live in a, you know, whatever you want to call it, a, a spiritual multidimensional reality. I, I think people are really starting to see that that you can't just repress that instinct to believe in another world. You know, CS Lewis says that the reason we're so dissatisfied with this world is we are made for another world. And I, I think more than anything what these events show us is that that desire is alive and well in 2022. And no matter how technological we get, we are ultimately not just physical material beings with no other higher plane of existence.
0: Amen to all that. I think it's another illustration that God can, will use anything to draw people to himself, whether it is cancer, whether it is human suffering, whether it is false religion sometimes, or whether it is a misuse of imagination uh, to worship aliens or spread myths about aliens or saviors from the stars, uh, when we ought to be instead looking for salvation in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that those things are good, uh, but it is great that God can use even these pagan mythologies to awaken people to the fact that there is more to this life than what we see. There's not just the gift of human imagination and beauty and truth and goodness and all of that, but there is Jesus Christ, the origin of all of these things, the only life beyond our planet that we need to be concerned about ultimately. Like, you know, clear aside all the talk about angels and demons even, the point is not just heavenly creatures or spirits. The point is Jesus Christ. The point is his gospel, which demands a response from us. Uh, that's the point of fantastical truth. That's what we do. It's not just to enjoy stories because they preach at us or make us feel good or cater to our emotions or give us a nice distraction, uh, but because through these stories, we can appreciate our hero, Jesus Christ. Any thoughts about these topics or any others you'd like to see in our next 100-some-on episodes of fantastical truth? You can send a missive to our comm station by emailing podcast at lorehaven.com or find lorehaven tag us on the social medias, especially Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a comment box at our website. If you are playing the episode directly from lorehaven.com slash podcast, you can just fill out that reply form at the end or leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. Zach, I see a few screens lit up uh, with some backed up messages over here at our comm station. Uh, Now I can see things better. Uh, We had the Imagination Station on loan from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I've moved that out until we can figure out why it keeps shape-changing on us. Uh, But it looks like a few people had some thoughts about that episode 100 uh, with uh, Phil Lawler, the founding father of the Adventures in Odyssey audio drama. One person from the Lorehaven Guild, one of our heroes there, uh, remarked as follows, quote, Our local Christian radio station used to play Adventures in Odyssey at 4 p.m., I think every weekday. At some point, it moved to Saturday mornings and we mostly stopped listening, though occasionally I've caught it on the way to work. I was a little young to completely grasp the larger plot arcs, but I have very fond memories of characters, and I still remember things that I used to reference all the time. The cuckoo bird is in the banana tree. (laughs) It was so exciting to discover that I recognized the sound of the imagination station. It's been so long. End quote. As I mentioned in that episode, I effectively took an Adventures and Odyssey break for a while, mainly just because I couldn't carry cassettes or CDs wherever I went. But it definitely helps to subscribe to the Adventures and Odyssey Club app, uh, literally the app on your phone. I think right now it's like 10 bucks a month. Helps support the Ministry of Focus on the Family, pay the hardworking creators of Adventures and Odyssey, and gets you access to that library of hundreds of episodes, nearly 1,000 episodes. So literally thousands and thousands of hours of, uh, of amazing entertainment there
1: we had another comment uh on in the guild and someone that really appreciate all our production on that so thank you and this person said quote what a passion project adventures in odyssey has been for decades now i tuned into christian radio almost exclusively in those days wmuz out of detroit and was a focus on the family listener so i remember odyssey in that context Sadly, by the time I had kids, we lived in rural areas where I could no longer pull in the station with any regularity, so it never became part of our family tradition. Either I wasn't aware of other formats or it was edged out by veggie tales, Uh, in quote. Yes, uh, you know, hey, like we said, you could still get it uh, streaming anywhere you've got Wi-Fi or cell phone coverage, uh, but that's really cool that you, you grew up and you have uh, some fond memories of hearing on the radio, you know just what a different time, Stephen, uh, just to think about it. it's you, you had to listen to it at that time. And that was it. And that day and that time of the week, like, Hey kids, you didn't always have streaming <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, you used to just have one chance every week to listen to it. Uh, but, uh, that is one of the cool ways that, you know, what the internet has changed and now everything is on demand. Uh, in fact, our, our kids, uh, listen to it all the time. And, uh, one of our younger kids, uh, we, we gave an old iPod to, and, uh, Found out that she was just keeping herself awake pretty late at, at night, listening to these episodes. And she said, oh, these aren't really helping me fall asleep. They're too exciting. We said, yeah, maybe we ought to listen to something else at night, like, I don't know, white noise generator or just some, you know, someone reading the dictionary or something. But uh, the episodes are very engaging and we, we just love
0: them. Next on Fantastical Truth, we don't need social media to know that Christians have deep differences about how we engage with our world. We see these divisions in how we respond to fiction. But what about the times Christians disagree over whether, say, we can publicly challenge evangelical leaders who have platformed controversial government bureaucrats? Just made that up, or actually our previous guest, Megan Basham, literally got involved in this question. Or we debate over whether we should wear masks or watch particular movies or vote or not vote for public policy platforms. On Fantastical Truth, we have touched on these issues ourselves but this time I would like to explore how we can enjoy great stories that help us to see these debates in perspective. We can discern why and how Christians should best disagree with each other privately or publicly, and also use these stories to help us fight for peace among ourselves and with others as Jesus Christ wants us to do. Meanwhile, whether you're listening to Fantastical Truth for the armies of the alien subspecies of podcast topic, or you're interested in those broader issues of biblical imagination and how we work those uh, out in the stories that we enjoy, or whether you want to hear about that time that a televangelist tried to fight a dragon, we're going to continue to explore those kinds of topics, uh, little clickbaity, but for the purpose of helping you explore Fantastical Stories for God's Glory that's our mission at Fantastical Truth In God's good purpose. We will continue to pursue this and we will continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.